Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Experts Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Ryan Moody, the president and CEO of ABS Group. Ryan, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks, Kim. Nice to meet you. Now, this is your first time on the show, so we're glad to have you. Today's focus, we are going to focus on is cybersecurity. Safety is important, so is vulnerabilities. Uh, if there is one thing that I think we all learned through COVID, well, we learned a lot of things through COVID, but a lot of them in the energy sector, they faced a lot of nuances in the way of people having to work from home remotely. Um, and it seemed like after everyone went through these challenges and we were coming out of COVID, all of a sudden uh, the Colonial Pipeline uh, was hacked and we all remember that. Cybersecurity is one to me that is one of the most important because if our government agencies are saying that it needs to be truly at the forefront of all energy sectors' uh, minds on how to protect themselves, it isn't just that you might be taken offline. It's what happens when they take you offline. Could they uh, potentially do a terrorist act in blowing something up? And so our up, mid, down, and green industries are all facing these challenges. Um, and we, you know, you don't know you have a problem until you have a problem. Your company focuses a lot on that. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to tell us a little bit about your background and then, of course, your company. Go ahead. Sure. Um, I'm Ryan Moody. We, um, as a company, ABS Group, we help our clients understand and manage risk. And that's everything from sort of operational risk and sort of in the day-to-day -day operations of managing um, high hazard, high capital environments like petrochemical facilities and refineries and offshore platforms, but also catastrophic risk, things that um, can create uh, harm to the environment, harm to people. Um, and uh, so we're sort of constantly helping our clients and adapting to evolving and emerging risks. Cybersecurity uh, is one of those risks that when you look at operations today, um, you have a lot of industrial control systems managing and controlling safety systems and processes in these environments. And uh, given the connectivity of those systems, um, cybersecurity is an emerging risk relative to uh, the ongoing operations uh, in, uh, in our clients' operating environments. Correct. So how long have you been doing this and what is your background in this cybersecurity uh, area? So I started in the oil and gas space uh, when in, uh, in about the year 2000. And so I've been in the oil and gas space for more than 20 years. I uh, spent most of my time uh, in the offshore space working on uh, offshore deep water, oil and gas production, um, drilling and production facilities. Um, and it, it's been interesting to watch that industry evolve over time uh, and change. And one of the things that really started to emerge in sort of the mid 20 teens is um, cybersecurity really started to come to the forefront. And at that time I moved to Siemens and helped start an industrial cybersecurity practice uh, in 2017. And, and it started to become top of mind for our clients. So when I joined ABS group, um, the, uh, 
the focus, one of our focus areas for growth was really addressing the industrial cybersecurity market. And we've built capability and expertise um, to help address it. It's, it's one of those uh, areas that, you know, a lot of our business as a company uh, stems from helping address risks that were identified, usually um, coming from a regulation or a standard that originated with an event, some sort of catastrophic event, whether it was the Bhopal chemical disaster in India that created um, the process safety codes that we have today, or any one of, there's probably dozens of these catastrophic events that have created um, a need to address risk uh, in a systematic way. And uh, following an event, governments and industry bodies typically take 18 months to come up with a new regulation. And then we help our clients stand up process procedure controls to make sure that that never happens again in that way. Um, and cybersecurity is one of those things that while Colonial got a lot of people's attention, it didn't create that new regulation. It didn't, it didn't really spark um, the sort of rate, the standard. And, but we're sort of expecting as this um, connectivity continues and the industries mature and boards get more aware of this, that there's going to be a more regulatory approach to industrial cybersecurity. And we wanted to be there to help our clients deal with that when it comes. Well, Ryan, some of the things that I want to try to tackle today in today's show is the new and emerging risk that energy sectors face pertaining to cybersecurity in the green sector, as well as in the oil and gas sector. I also want to take a look and see some of the uh, recent bills that have passed and some of the legislation that might help these things go through. I also want to talk a little bit about potential terrorism and looking at our ports that are very, they're not vulnerable, but are they potentially in a spot? And then some uh, best practices for companies. I mean, we all think about, oh my goodness, what if somebody uh, hacked into my system and took my customers or took my took me offline or uh, you know stole my website and, and we think about those things uh, everyone and maybe our controls are not enough but this is not that show but you should be thinking about it this is a much higher level discussion on larger companies and of course what they're doing and there's a lot of new technology that you're going to share with us too that these large companies are working to really shore that up to make us feel safe that we don't really have to worry that a, a big uh, energy company or a port or uh, a, maybe a city is uh, under attack, if you will, with their infrastructure. That can a lot of bad things can happen if some uh, a nefarious person gets a hold of it. So let's begin, if you will, with some of the new and emerging risks that energy organizations are facing today versus in the past, because you did mention things are coming along so fastly, technology is evolving so quickly, AI now is here. What do you see coming down the path for, for these companies, these energy companies uh, to be, that they need to really be focusing on? Um, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that um, a lot of companies, you know, are, are worried about security and cybersecurity is a part of that. And for a long time, I think when you think specifically about cybersecurity, companies have cybersecurity top of mind. But I think where they where there might be a gap and where the the sort of trends are relative to the the risk is um, well, a lot of times we think about cybersecurity. We're thinking about the laptop on our desk. We're thinking about our networks and our offices. Ransomware. Um, yeah, but sort of connectivity with people's. PCs and 
um, if you think about what is the objective of an attacker, um, it, traditionally in cybersecurity, it's to take information. So it's to, to go in, take records, take production data, and, um, and to take that information and sort of ransom it as, as a threat. Um, but, and that's the traditional IT security, cybersecurity approach is to sort of build barriers so that people can't take information out of the of their networks. So Fidelity and Target and these companies that have serious cybersecurity programs, it's about preventing information from being stolen. But in industrial environments, for many of our the people that are listening to this uh, show, it you have operations, you have a, a petrochemical facility or a pumping station or an offshore platform. And taking data out of that environment is actually somewhat inconsequential. A lot of that data is you know, it might be information on the reliability of the net of the systems, or it might be uh, data on how fast the pumps are running, or whatever. But it's not critical if the information's stolen. It can, you know, it can ransom us. What the the threat is is more attackers getting in and interrupting or damaging the operation, the physical equipment, um, and uh, so the objectives in an OT space are totally different. And therefore, the controls are really quite different. Um, and so we have to think about these operating environments, what cybersecurity means for them, how different that is from a traditional cybersecurity yeah. on our offices and networks. But in the emerging risk and the challenges, those two environments, the operational environment and the office network environment are increasingly connected and linked. So there's entry points on both sides but the risks are quite different. The controls are quite different. And so thinking about what does it mean to have cybersecurity for my plant, for my operation, and what am I, objectives? You know, uh, you're, you're correct. Because several years ago, the cyber threat was more ransomware, disrupting businesses, cities, governments for financial gain. And now it's, uh, it's still happening. It's not slowing down, but there's also now killware. Um, and so that's what is that malware that could cause harm or even death. And so it's it's all it, it's growing in its in its ugly, ugliness, if you will. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get into how cyber risk have evolved now and in the near future as you see it. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. 
Texas Mutual, and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com slash T-X-O-G-A. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. My guest today is Ryan Moody, the president and CEO of ABS Group. Ryan, before the break, thank you for taking us through the severity of what a potential cyber uh, debacle, if you will, or someone hacking to someone's system can really be a problem for not just the company, but for us all. We all remember uh, we've seen some companies that have been taken offline, whether they were companies or in the energy sector, but all of us remember going the pipeline. Um, and it's an important thing. If the FBI is concerned and is talking to energy companies about the real need for this, I mean, I'm not saying they don't know this. They do know this. I'm not trying to say they don't have strong internal controls for this. But there's also the question about these, these uh, bad guys out there are so good at what they do. And there's a lot of really bad countries that would love to see harm come to the United States in our infrastructure. And when we look at this big picture, if you will, you know, will the next cyber um, attack come to possibly uh, an energy company, a utility company, a refining company, or even one of our ports? Uh, very important for us all. Um, and so I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about um, the evolving uh, near-term and long-term on the evolution of cybersecurity as you see it. And then we'll kind of start getting into how the energy, oil and gas sector and that up and down versus the green, if you will. So so what do you see evolving right now and in the future? Um, so the, I guess the evolution of cyber really started um, when Stuxnet happened, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Stuxnet. I can, if, if not, or if the listeners do not, I can give a 30 second review of that. But um, essentially, in the um, late um, sort of 2005 to 2010 range, um, our own government um, basically created one of the most advanced malwares that ever existed to target the Iranian nuclear production. And uh, there was this uh, nuclear enrichment site that in the middle of the desert that um, our government built the malware to basically disable and destroy their ability to enrich uranium. And it was a, uh, a malware that propagated um, with what's called a zero day, which means no user has to interface with it. It just sort of propagates from machine to machine. It was brought into that plant. And basically what it did is it went in and recorded some data 
and it started playing back that good data while it spun up the centrifuges to, to um, sort of speeds that blew everything up and it destroyed the, the plant and their ability to make, uh, to enrich uranium. And then, but they didn't know that. They didn't know what was going on. So um, they rebuilt everything and the virus kicked in again and destroyed everything. And it was a really effective use of um, sort of unstated warfare um, around cybersecurity. And, and I think it showed the world the ability of malware to affect physical operations. And um, since then, we've we've seen some of the tools and things that they've used um, actually propagated in in other WannaCry and Petya and not Petya and these other uh, um, malwares that have existed since Stuxnet happened. Um, but you know, essentially, what the the real vulnerability here is these machines uh, are uh, that are in our plants, whether it's nuclear enrichment centrifuges or it's uh, big gas turbines and power plants or controls in nuclear facilities um, are controlled by industrial controls. And so when you get in there and you tell um, the control system that the pump is on when it's off or vice versa, or the, the sensor says that the load level is okay and it's overflowing or whatever it is, um, then you have risk uh, associated with um, those operations. I mean, as a risk management company who works with sort of regulatory codes, one of our standard ways of operating is to go into a plant and look at controls and barriers and make sure that the operations are safe, that you have pressure contained equipment and there's multiple barriers and ways that that can be relieved without harming anybody. And what cybersecurity does um, from a vulnerability standpoint is it compromises some of those controls. And so you, a lot of what our clients do today, they're looking at the controls, the barriers, the ways, the things that they have, systems that they have to keep their environment safe. They're doing, they're following the standards, they're doing everything they need to do. And the new consideration that we're sort of pivoting to is we have to look at all of those systems of layers of protection and, and ask the question, are these potentially compromised by cybersecurity uh, vulnerabilities and what do we need to do about it if they are? Um, some of them you can just put in an extra layer of control, some of that's not compromisable, like a burst disk, for example, you can't compromise that with a cyber attack. It relieves pressure when it overpressures. But other times you might need to segment networks specifically, or you might need to put some controls in place to limit the damage that can happen if one area gets um, compromised relative to another. So there's practical sort of risk management controls that need to be looked at given sort of the emerging um, state of cybersecurity potentially impacting the, the control mechanisms that we have in place to keep people uh, safe. Now, now, you know, what you're talking about, I got to thinking and started to think, wait a minute, maybe, you know, who should be talking security risk in an organization? And, and normally we all think of the CEO or the chief security officer, but what about the COOs? And everyone is, is you know, these companies also, is there an area that we need to be focusing on, that they need to be focusing on that leads down to all of their employees too? Because one thing we learned through COVID, um, one of uh, my advisors on the board uh, who has a large energy company said, you know, overnight we were all forced to go home. No one was prepared. And it was a difficult job for us to figure out how to keep security and yet allow our, you know, we, our employees had to go home and be safe. You know, we didn't know what we were dealing with. 
But there was a, a real matter of a, a security risk for all employees who were tapping into their mainstream, if you will, from homes that don't know what computers they're using, that what you know, what type of software do they have on their malware, if you will. Um, and so it was a pretty scary thing, I think, for all of these companies to figure it out and figure it out quickly mm-hmm. when there probably wasn't a lot of companies available to them to come in and give them a, a proposal and help them through the process. But I'm kind of thinking that, um, you know, when he told me that it was it was not just at the highest levels of the group. It was all the way down into yeah. the main infrastructure. And then you've got product and, and, uh, and development folks that are working with brand new technologies or developing in their labs and how vulnerable are they? Uh, Ryan, I'm going to have to take a quick break, but when we return, I'm going to give you back the floor and I'll let you talk about uh, as a company, if you're talking to a CEO, how are you drilling into them? You know, what should you be looking at? Let's take a quick break. You'll see you to the Mold Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust and we're back to listen to annual patch radio show my guest today is ryan moody the president and ceo of abs group right before the break um we i was asking you about um most companies i think and and the board of the company look at the ceo or chief security officer as the answer for uh, they know everything about security and they're taking care of that but there's also uh, a whole infrastructure in that company, if you will, that starts, you know, COO to technique, you know, to be digital, te- uh, digital officers, if you will. Um, what should, a, if you had to do a pitch, what is the company, what should the company be looking for all the way through its infrastructure? So I, I think this is a super interesting question and maybe at the heart of why um, some companies are struggling to, to wrap their arms around this. It, a lot of times we look at the CIO in a company sort of delegated by the CEO to address cybersecurity risk. And for companies that only have office environments, that's usually sufficient. The CIO has basically domain control. They have um, sort of they can see all of the networks and put agents on everybody's machines and have good control over that. But when we're talking about companies with operating environments, typically the IT security infrastructure kind of stops at the plant. There's a what, what we might call a DMZ that sort of separates the plant and the plant's operations from the security of the rest of the network. And then the security inside of, of the operation is really more of an operational risk and layers of protection challenge. Because uh, And the reason why you typically have that segregation of the plant is the industrial controls tend to be finicky and they don't play well or play nice with the IT uh, tools that the IT uh, group is using. So active scanning and looking for stuff and um, doesn't really work in the operating environment. So it's typically left alone, which then creates an unknown and a set of vulnerabilities and that kind of thing. And so it's a different set of tools and involves a lot of operational people at lower levels that understand control systems, that understand safety of those control systems, 
that understands the regulatory uh, nature of the process controls that we have in an operation. And so um, it's engaging with operations, but engaging with operations at a fairly technical level um, that is how you start addressing the cybersecurity risk that um, that exists inside of an operational environment. Well, and you're kind of really, I want to drill down a little bit more on that because you're, you're giving me the overview. Now I want you to tell me, because this is kind of what you do. This is really um, the nuts and bolts of your company. Redefining system maturities, because obviously this is evolving as fast as hackers and, and various actors are evolving too <laughs> with the technology on the other side. Uh, give us some current guidance on cybersecurity. Yeah, so um, I guess my, my guidance and suggestion would be first, um, you need somebody that can own security for the operational environment. Unless there's a leader that that's part of their mandate, this challenge is, is probably not going to get addressed properly. It needs to be a CISO or somebody who has a security mandate in the operational environment. And from there, um, you know, there's a lot of, if you look at sort of the voice in the marketplace talking about cybersecurity for operations, it's a lot of technology companies, um, companies like Dragos and Nozomi and that have technology solutions for understanding vulnerabilities in those markets and monitoring for the, that type of thing. And I would say that's that's fine, that's part of the solution, but at its heart, this isn't um, a technology challenge, this is an operational risk. And so we have to think about the controls for operational risk that we have today and what, um, and what cybersecurity um, means to those controls, because there really is a very mature framework for managing operational controls and operational risk in a plant. And there's people that work in operations that understand these things very well. We have to bring these people with cyber domain expertise into the conversation with all these people that understand plants, plant control, safety, um, and, and sort of marry that conversation together. And I'm not sure I see that happening very broadly. So um, if I were an operational leader or advising an operational leader, um, I, would in, I would try and create that structure and environment where cybersecurity people are talking to my plant control and safety people yes. and making sure that that conversation is happening, is understood, we're documenting those risks and we're dealing with those findings. Because I think what the research shows, there's a really interesting um, piece of research I saw yesterday that said, when you install these tools and you identify vulnerabilities and you, and you fix them, um, there's like a one-to-one -one correlation with identifying more vulnerabilities. So I don't think it's all about finding your vulnerabilities and fixing them because what you're going to, that, that leads to is you find more vulnerabilities. So it's not necessarily about vulnerabilities. That's part of the answer, but it's really about what does this mean to me operationally? What does this mean to these very mature controls that I have in my operation with regards to are they compromised or not? And then some very practical um, changes we can make to those operational controls to deal with the sort of highest consequence cyber events. Very good. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get on uh, everything internet. I want to talk about old versus new uh, terminals or facilities. And then I also want to get into the Inflation Reduction Act. You're listening to the Old Patrio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Ryan Moody, who is the president and CEO of ABS Group. Um, Ryan, I'd like to try to bring us to today. 
there's a lot of things that are evolving. Um, and unless you're in that world, it just seems so fast and complicated. I know I'm one of them. Um, there's so many new names coming out. Uh, you can, uh, the internet of things, is just like this big black hole of a lot of stuff. What does that mean? And then also now you can uh, use, uh, tell somebody to do something online and it goes and does it. And there's all kinds of new technology going on, which I can't think of the name of it, but how do you see the security risk with so much new technology coming online? How are companies dealing with this internet of things? Yeah, so great question. If you look at these plants 20, 30 years ago, you had industrial controls in a plant, large metal building, offshore platform, largely not connected to stuff. The machinery itself, the controls weren't internet connected. They kind of existed on an island. And increasingly, everything that gets put in the plant today has an internet connection. Emergencies and things like that now make them more To give reliability information, to give updated status on how it's doing. And so um, whether it's that big gas turbine that has all these sensors all over it, or you have um, a facility where you've wanted to install, you know, monitoring of CO2 or install, you know, whatever. The Internet of Things is everything from your thermostat at home that's now connected to the network that you can check on your phone to your wireless printer or to whatever, where you have these devices that, um, whether it's a sensor or like your thermostat, an interface device that is connected into a network. And all of those devices, um, when they're connected to the network, might have a vulnerability that gives somebody um, an entry point or an attack point into that network, right? So um, the sort of exponential rate of um, connectivity of all of these IoT devices and the industrial devices themselves being increasingly censored um, and, and with lots of uh, new um, ways to detect and measure things gives us um, industrial environments that are wildly more networked and complicated from a um, networking map point of view. And so that that doesn't necessarily, it creates a risk. It creates a lot of attack vectors um, that didn't exist 20 years ago. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, if I go online for efficiencies and be able to, to look at a button in, or look at a system, <laughs> look at a system and make sure that uh, we're being efficient, it can tell me now when my uh, equipment might break down. All of these things are wonderful, but there's the trade-off. Let's switch gears and talk about um, leveraging incentives. You know, in the, in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, that was passed. A lot of that legislation was giving a lot of money for green for projects. And we're seeing a flurry of all of these new projects being announced, whether it's uh, hydrogen and carbon capture. There's a lot of money for a lot of wonderful projects. Um, but I want to get your opinion on um, how did the Inflation Reduction Act, act excuse me, act uh, leap forward in, uh, these environmental goals? And how do you see them uh, coming into play now with um, what is these, uh, the opportunity to implement security measures from a feed stage through government uh, initiatives. So the Inflation Reduction Act is certainly triggering um, a huge sort of energy transition investment and a lot of sort of emerging fuels, alternate technology um, and adaptations to, to our environments to sort of reduce carbon. It doesn't have a lot of mandate in it with regards to cyber. And from a re regulatory standpoint, what's really interesting is I think the different government agencies that have responsibility for the different sectors that we support, whether it's TSA that regulates the pipeline industry or um, you know, any number of agencies that control these different sectors from a cyber standpoint, you have this agency that was stood up a few years ago called CISA that 
is basically has a mandate to cover cyber for all of our critical infrastructure in the US. And so that's uh, offshore platforms and midstream and downstream and refineries and you name it. And CISA is starting to um, come out with broad rules, not with a lot of teeth yet, maybe still coming, um, that are trying to unify those rules across a lot of our industrial sectors for critical infrastructure. And I think you're, what you're going to see is some of these other agencies that might, um, there's some jockeying right now for, you know, who controls the cybersecurity regulations for, let's say, pipelines, for example. Right now it's TSA. Are they going to fall in line with CISA or not? I think ultimately they will. Um, I think you're seeing Coast Guard fall in line um, with CISA relative to ports and terminals, relative to the to the uh, shipping and maritime space. So I think we're going to see sort of transition to broad alignment with CISA leading the way um, and generally sort of driving that uh, consistency for cybersecurity across critical infrastructure. And I think we'll see increasing teeth in those regulations to put a little bit more requirement because right now it's, it's pretty broad. It's pretty, um, there's not a lot of uh, requirements or penalty for, for not following uh, those those regulations. Um, the only one, the, probably the industry that's the furthest ahead is um, is the power industry. Um, NERC SIP has some pretty firm requirements for um, the large power providers. And uh, so as a result, um, large power providers have more mature programs uh, relative to cyber controls. When you say uh, CISA, it's a CISO. What specific? CISA. CISA, CISA. Okay, so then what is the difference between CIFA and CISO? Are you familiar with that? And what are the differences between them? Um, so to me, CISA, Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA is a government um, agency that's part of the Department of Homeland Security that's really the regulatory agency for critical infrastructure. When I hear the term CISO, I'm thinking about a chief information security officer who's who needs to be responsible for cybersecurity of of their operations, um, both IT and OT uh, operations. Um, I guess what I want to know, Ryan, is the energy and utilities 2022 cyber outlook, like what is going to be the priority for them as they're, not 2022, 2023, what is going to be their outlook for them as they're moving into a more, I think, politically uh, the geopolitical unrest that's going on. There's all kinds of moving parts that are evolving very quickly. What is the, to, what do you see in these companies as far as their evolving regulatory and policy change landscape as a result of so many things changing very quickly? I think that um, in the near term, we'll have CISA and the other agencies continuing- well, Regulating them? Continuing to raise awareness, uh, writing um, sort of guidelines for how, how these companies to need to address um, security in practice relative to policy uh, without a lot of firm uh, mandates or controls. But um, if history repeats itself, which it seems to always do, I, I'm expecting there's going to be some sort of large catalyzing event that's going to trigger a regulatory um, change that's going to put hard requirements in both for controls and reporting uh, for industrial cybersecurity. Uh, history tells us that it takes a significant event that has sort of catastrophic consequences for um, government agencies to really turn and get prescriptive about what needs to be done to make sure this never happens again. Uh, Colonial wasn't quite that, um, but um, what there, my prediction is that that will happen at some point. Uh, there's, there's so much connectivity, there's so much vulnerability that um, it won't, it, it'll be hard to ignore once there's a, a catastrophic event and the government will um, get 
uh, more prescriptive and companies will have to spend some money on um, on managing cyber risk inside of operations. You're listening to Enroll Cash Radio Show. We'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Ryan Moody, the president and CEO of ABS Group. Ryan, uh, while we were on break, I was telling you that I was having a problem preparing for the show because a lot of the government resources that are available for a company to look at online are old and outdated. And you said something to me that was striking. I want to get to that real quick before we head back into the topic. Are, is there adequate resources for our large energy companies, our, our large green companies, uh, to utilize to really get a solid plan uh, in order for their cyber uh, risk or security? Um, you know, cybersecurity, especially for operations, is an emerging field. There's not a ton of uh, expertise out there, both within our client base or within the government. And the sort of rules and regs are evolving. So government guidance on this, um, they're still trying to figure out what's the best way to prevent sort of catastrophic operations damaged by caused by cybersecurity and balancing, you know, what's the right level of mandate. So the government's still trying to figure it out. You have companies like ours and other consulting companies, um, you know, ours is more niche and technical and specific to industrial operations. Others take a little bit broader view to cybersecurity more generally, but it's companies like ours that help put frameworks in place and help think about ways to help control, manage, and mitigate these risks um, really ahead of some hard requirement. Um, and boards and senior leaders at our clients are thinking hard about what's the right level of uh, approach and spend and how seriously do I take this and what do these risks really mean to my operation, uh, to my performance, my earnings, the safety of my people, um, safety of the environment, and and it's a it's a difficult um, balance, uh, and and so uh, we our clients tend to be the ones that are sort of ahead of this a little bit that are thinking about this that it may be top of mind because they know somebody that was impacted by this or they know another company or they sit on a board that was impacted by this, but um, it's also interesting dynamic wise because being attacked from a cybersecurity standpoint typically doesn't go public. It's not something people talk about. It's something that um, tends to be held very tightly um, when it happens, except in the rare instance where it's made public, um, like um, Colonial was and like the Maersk attack was. And so, um, you know, it's not really known how prevalent this is or how uh, what risk really exists because it's not widely discussed, um, except in, in very small circles. So I think leaders are still figuring out how much this risk really means to me and means to my operation. Um, I think it's probably has a higher sort of consequence and impact than, than people, leaders and boards realize. And so going forward, I think we'll see that sort of eyes open up to this and start to take it more seriously. But I think the floodgates will really open once we have uh, a, a catastrophic event 
um, and a mandate that, that potentially comes out after that relative to you know regulation with with uh, hard requirements. When do you see that happening? Because I do see this an emerging field of companies that are in it early are going to do well. Um, and we see a lot of the large companies really taking this serious too, much larger companies um, trying to help the energy sector, if you will. But the energy sector is just huge, right? I mean, right? You, it's not just oil and gas or green, it's utilities, it's, it's our ports. It's just massive amounts of infrastructure that are very vulnerable at this time. And then you have you know, think you have a lot of countries that would love to see something happen here to take us offline, not to mention the various characters uh, who want to extort, you know, a company for money. There's just a lot of risk. And then there's just the Internet and all those things evolving so fast in their technology. It's really hard to get a handle on this. So I would anticipate there'll be some more bad things happening. But what are the things that keep you up at night in the way of like, um, where are we at our greatest growth that you can see, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I mean, what, I think what uh, areas in companies, not in specific companies, but areas of maybe it's midstream pipelines. Um, yeah, port. I mean, I, I think there are some areas that um, are, you know, very critical to our nation's operating infrastructure. When you think about power grid. Um, if somehow the power grid was compromised in, a, in sort of a broad way, not necessarily an individual power producer, that's part of the answer here, but, um, but sort of the grid and the, the way the grid works more broadly, if that had a serious cyber compromise and went down for a while, I think it would be backbreaking. Um, you know, major pipeline infrastructure that moves uh, natural gas and, and oil around our country from, you know, where it's made to where it's um, refined, where it's delivered, I think that could have serious sort of widespread impacts. Um, I think that you could see some some pretty serious disasters uh, potentially in and around the ports. You know, if somebody took control of a large tanker, uh, its GPS system and its and its um, propulsion and and uh, navigation, you could drive one tanker into another and created you know a huge um, catastrophe. Um, there's there's a number of ways that industrial controls could create um, something that you know, is it going to be irreparable for a long time? Probably not. But, you know, power grid going out for day or days um, in a large area of the U.S., um, you know, would be would be very consequential uh, to a lot of people, especially, you know, right now it's 100 degrees in Texas for the next week. And the power uh, demand on ERCOT is basically peaking at, at its higher, highest level ever. You know, power goes up for 24 hours in Texas right now. It's probably um, catastrophic for a lot of people. So, um, you know, something like it's mind boggling to think uh, of where we are. And as I started to do research, there were some uh, things that came to mind on some of the publications of some really great consulting companies. These are your type of company, they're consulting companies trying to tell these companies, executives, boards, um, you need a web, a web, uh, leaving a web of protection, if you will, meaning covering like the whole entire company and then uh, strategic threat intelligence, which is important. And that was where everybody needs to come together in some way and share their best practices and lessons learned. I don't necessarily know if anyone being able to really bridge that except company by company like yours, taking what they learned from one company and bringing it to another or being aware of it. Is there something that there is a, an area where they are sharing data and best practices? There are, those, those groups exist. Um, they're typically very small um, because um, if you, you know, the, the, the major oil and gas companies, for example, 
um, have security, cybersecurity people that are part of an information sharing group. Um, and uh, for the most critical threat intelligence and vulnerability information, they share that with each other. Um, but it's kind of invite only and it's kind of the, the only the other companies that they really trust because they're sharing information about their own vulnerabilities and their own uh, risks and what they're seeing in terms of attacks. And they don't really want that to be public. So they those groups tend to be very small, very industry specific. Um, and a lot of times they don't really want to share uh, that they're even doing it. That part is the problem. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Ryan, I want to thank you for being a guest uh, on our show today. For more information on what you're doing, where can our listeners reach you at? Um, yeah, we're we're ABS Group. Um, we're pretty easily Googleable, um, but it's uh, it's abs-group.com uh, is, is our website and, and uh, landing page. And from there, you can sort of dig into uh, cybersecurity and any number of topics in our knowledge center. And um, we'd be happy to help anybody uh, help think about um, their operations, their risks, and and uh, and you know what controls might be needed to help um, prevent um, cyber uh, attacks and consequences. Right. Today's name of the game is don't wait till you're a victim. Get ahead of it and make sure that your company is safe and sound. Ryan, thank you again for being a guest on t- today's show in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.